Welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Ash Lauren. I'm a DJ, writer, radio host, and founder of Underground in Black. Today's conversation with Eddie Folks is the fourth in a series of collaborative exchanges hosted by Resident Advisor and Underground in Black. Considered one of the founding fathers of Detroit techno, Eddie Folks has invested decades of blood, sweat, and innovation into his craft. The self-proclaimed godfather of techno soul, Folks started DJing in early 80s Detroit and has since compiled a legendary catalog that includes genre-defying cuts like the 1986 Metroplex single Goodbye Kiss. Full of raw realness and confidence, Folks shows no signs of slowing down. Next month, The Beneficiaries, a collaborative project between Folks, legendary DJ and producer Jeff Mills, and poet Jessica Care Moore, will release their debut album, The Crystal City is Alive. As always, the full archive of RA Exchange podcast is available on Resident Advisor, as well as on SoundCloud or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special. All right, everybody, welcome back uh, to another edition of the Underground and Black Times Resident Advisor Exchange uh, series. Today, I am sitting in the studio with the godfather of Detroit techno, Mr. Eddie Folks. What you been up to lately? How are things going for you um, here in Detroit? I can say this year has been cool. I did the whole music for this documentary for Alan Houston. Okay. Remember him? He used to be... Uh, NBA, he's still an NBA. I mean, he used to be NBA player for Detroit and New York Knicks. Okay. And it was Detroit first round pick. So he did a documentary, uh, Jake McAfee from Detroit. He used to do his little shorts when he was in New York. Jake and Allen is still in New York, excuse me. So Jake was like, hey man, what'd you do the whole music score for this documentary? I said, okay, cool. So this, uh. Oh, so you did the, the score for it? I did the score, yeah. And it's, and it's, uh, been accepted for the Cleveland Musical Festival uh, for best little short film. So if, if we win, we get uh, a, a nominated for an Oscar, which is dope. Wow, so they, that's big. So somebody saw it and it's like, yo, blah, blah, blah. And it's been shown. Um, it's like, it's called Coachable. And it, yeah, it's about uh, some young urban kids and uh, uh, teaching about this book Alan Houston wrote about, you know, uh, in life, you know how to you know manifest your 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 skills you have in life, yeah, and even through basketball and whatever. But the music was so dope, and it's like it just because I ran into him at the Lions game, and you know, like guy like six seven, and yeah. it was like 
And I was like, Dad, I told my wife, look like Alan. He's like, yeah. So I walked up to him. And she's like, are you Alan? He said, yeah. I said, man, we never met, but we was doing it through Jake, you know, the music. I said, I did the culture about music. Man, that music is dope. So... Oh, so you ran into him after you had already did the music for it. Okay. Yes, because we were supposed to hook up at the All-Star game because he's the GM for the New York Knicks uh, uh, D-League team. So we were supposed to hook up at the All-Star game. And I was like, man, I'm not going there, man. So they end up showing it, showing the, the documentary there, and they got rave reviews. So that's that's another feather in my cap. And then plus I got uh, two, four, six, eight. I got eight releases coming out. Um, in July, and then I got one coming out in um, in between now and July on my Detroit Wax label. So I've been busy, got to put in work. So you're still putting out dance music for the I've most never part. stopped. Okay, so the music for uh, the Coachable documentary was that like dance music oriented as well too? Or? Oh yeah, it's all okay. yeah, it's all t- techno. All my music oh, and stuff I play. I played half and stuffed some, some tracks I never made before. And then my first track I ever made was Goodbye Kiss. So the, the kids doing a jit dance. So we put that in there, you know. Nice. You know, so. Good. I'm definitely check it out. Make sure you guys check out Coachable, scored by Eddie Folks. So how are things going, uh, I guess, to touch a little more on what you just said, like how are things in your career going right now? Um, are you still touring? Are you playing mostly locally or are you focused on anything outside of music or is music still your main thing? With all these releases coming up and I got a new deal with EPM uh, in London for my digital. Okay. You know. So these are digital releases. Yes. Yes. Okay. And one is vinyl. But I got releases coming up all the way. I just, I just. I just finished up to July. Now I'm going to take a break and then put out for November, December, and January. So, you know, and I might start another label within that, you know, because the music is just coming out of me too much now, which is perfect. And all of these releases that are coming out, are these going to be on your label? or? I'm sorry. Yes. It's going to be on Okay. It's going to be on. (laughs) My first label was called City Boy Music. And that was, I mean, City Boy Records out of Detroit. And, uh. And then I just switched it over to City Boy Music now. And my original label, I mean, excuse me, my second label after that is Detroit Wax. And I started that in uh, 2000, and that was distributed by Juno. Okay. And then um, I shut that down for a minute because uh some family things. And so I just let me do this digital stuff. So now my family stuff is over with. I'm going, you know, I'm going to do both, digital and vinyl, two different styles of music. With other people, music involved as well. Okay. Um, you said family stuff. How, you know, how does being an artist and a DJ, how has that affected your family life? Like, I mean, obviously everyone's probably adjusted by now, but how has that affected it? Do you think it was positive or do you feel like you were away sometimes when you didn't want to be because you're on the road or did you feel like you've been able to balance all of that pretty well? Yeah, I can see where it uh, kind of affected the family stuff because, you know, but yeah, it did. It did. Not to the point where uh, me and my wife, which is more the point of my daughters, and uh, you know, uh, like they have events and I, I'm I'm gone. They have events, yeah. I'm gone. But as they got older, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna put a little break to this real quick. Just seriously, a little break where they can't say, "Well, you wasn't there," and I was there. So a lot of people don't realize, like talk to your kids and give them some sense of direction because learning this business from a young age, they said this is the dirtiest, worst business you could start. So I taught my kids 
to start a business by the time they're 20, you should know where you're going in life. Yeah. Really, I started at 19 with them. And so it's have taken, they they taking the bait and they running buck wild with it. <laughs> For real. That's good. And um, so by me staying home, kind of, not kind of, it did warp their mind to the point where, okay, cool. So you see how dad started his own business and see what I'm doing with learning how to market, promote, distribution, uh, supply and demand. If you're on your psychiatrist business, you got to still promote and let people know, okay, you, you supply, you got to have a room, you know, or, or you can own a psychiatrist business. So those different things that I instilled in them and, and it took off. Like my oldest daughter, she did this, she's going on her second intern at Google and she started her own business at Michigan State. And my other daughter, she's at econ, and she's double major in, in uh, mass communications. She wants to um, do movies and stuff like that. I said, I don't care what y'all do, but you're going to be the best black female in there, Michigan State, period, period, because <laughs> they get it from both sides because of their looks. You know, their hair go to their back, and it's just one of those type of things that creates a lot of drama, cross, just a lot of drama. Just a lot of drama. And you know in the black community is something else with that. So Oh, it's definitely. I mean, when you're intelligent and beautiful, you know, a lot of times people And speak well. Yeah. People will automatically attribute your success to how you look. You know, right. sometimes people be like, Oh, she's just cute. It's like, okay, yeah, you can be cute and smart. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, it's not impossible. So I, so, and, I get that. And, and my daughters, when I would do Q and A's, I, I taught them at a young age, you go do my Q and A's. I taught them how to write in third person or second person, you know, and I was like, this is what you go to school for. So now they remember all the key players that I talk about. So if something if so if she hears somebody talk about their dad it's like, no, I know how this went down because I did a lot of Q&As. So when the, when the interviews came in, I had them do it, even my little one. Yeah. So they know the key components of the players, in other words, in Detroit and blah, blah, blah. So that was another thing that uh, I can't think of the word, but I got them uh, marinated in this bit. And, yeah. and, and the history. You, and, you and the history, instilled them right. with, with the tools. Right. So they can't, <laughs> nobody can't walk up to them it's like, you know, and say something about they did because no, I already know it came out of his mouth and I wrote it. So they know, obviously, like the whole Detroit techno story and yes. all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, are they like house music fans or? Uh no. <laughs> <laughs> my, my my oldest daughter, she goes to the to the to the thing down here, the movement. But my youngest one, she's like, ah. she just can't do it. She she don't like the noise. Yeah, and, it has uh, to be like that sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's not for everyone. <laughs> so, and the tripped out part, I said, you remember that guy, that black guy, uh, Virgil, what's his name? Virgil Abdul? What's his oh, name? yeah. Virgil Abloh, the right, uh, Louis Vuitton guy. Right. So she said, dad, dad, can you get some tickets to the hookup? I was like, what hookup? To the movement. I said, no, I don't really like want to, I want to see this guy Virgil. I couldn't say no because she gave me, she's, she's, both of my daughters on the dean list every semester. I said, all right. So then they, like, we want to meet Virgil. I didn't know who this guy was. Yeah. He was cool. So cool. He was by himself. And uh, walked up, and she's like, you know what, Dad? I, this was like um, two weeks ago. She said, I wouldn't know. I didn't have my business mind on. If then, I would have been pow, pow, pow. You know, and I say, well, everything happened for a reason. And I'm saying this because it's like uh, she understands now what black people in power can help one another. Exactly. She realized that now. She said, I just went on my game. I said, see, that's what you get from up there. 
blending in up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's important that we definitely like elevate each other and connect and like, you know, build opportunities or create opportunities for one another instead of having like the crabs in the barrel uh, mentality. I think sometimes, you know, black people, we, we struggle with that. Um, but I think it's definitely we should be elevating and celebrating one another and just coming together for the greater good of, you know, the whole community. Um, unfortunately, it's just not always like that. So, you know, we talked a little bit about what you have going on currently, so now we're going to take it back a little bit. Um, these are probably questions you've heard and conversations you've had many times. I'm pleading the fifth on some of them, probably. Okay, yeah, no, we, you know, we're going to keep it respectful. You know, we, we can, you know, we ain't going to get too dirty with it. Um, so the Bellevue 3, um, I've been like, you know, I was just doing some research, reading a little bit about you. Um, you know, how do you feel about that whole story? You know, I know you've been vocal in the past, so I, don't, I know this isn't a secret, um, but you are saying that that story was kind of like, the UK media were the ones that kind of pushed uh, that story? Or? No. Uh, I, I don't think I said that. I think somebody else said that. Oh, okay. Well, I, I think I read that you said that too. Like, people were saying that you said things and you didn't say them. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And we can start with Derek May. He always putting shit in my mouth. <laughs> you know, see, and he's the main culprit of speaking for Detroit. Please don't, Derek. Please, Derek, don't do that. So anyway, no. Um, when I first found out about it, I got on the phone, I called Juan, I called Kevin, and it's like, I didn't want to call Derek because it was just a waste of time. So, uh, so you guys aren't, are we on aren't, a three-way? aren't homies, Who? basically. I mean, I'm cordial. It's, it's a business. Yeah, it's yeah. a business. I see him as a business. It's like he see me as a business. If we do panels or whatever together, okay, cool. But, I mean, you know, I'm not going to, hey, man. It's not, y'all not besties, anyway. Well, we used to be roommates, so, I mean, you know, uh, you know. But let me get back to the point. Yeah, here. of course. Go ahead. <laughs> so I called and I was like, look, uh, I said, man, what's up with this Bellevue 3? You know, you're alienating Detroit artists. You're alienating what you stand for as Detroit. And it's like, Kevin was like, no, 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 man, it ain't like that. It was just that we would just, you know, I want to start another uh, brand, you know, because we went to, you know, uh, high school together in Belleville. I said, okay. Well, to me, man, I kind of take it kind of personal. You know what I'm saying? Because you just like, I, I wasn't there. You know, and then I said, I said, so why what you think? Hey, man, you know, I'm sorry, man. I already know what your mentality had anyway. So, you know, and I was like, all right, okay. So then a the backlash star happened when they came out with it. And it proved my point that, hey, if you say Detroit, but now you're just like, hey, so all you cats is left on your own. But this is where the shit started in Belleville. So then when people asked me about it, I said, I don't understand Belleville because that's what they want to do. So how they branded, let them speak for their own, their own self. I was born on Grand River at an all-black hospital back in the day. So I'm from <laughs> Detroit. So so Belleville and Detroit to you are not synonymous? Hell no. Okay. No. Where is Belleville? It's in Belleville, Michigan, oh, the city of Belleville, okay. right outside of Ann uh, Ypsilanti. Oh, so it's not even Metro Detroit. No. Uh -uh. Oh, yeah. That's so cool. that's why I was like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But if you get money and you get you doing tours with that and dates, you know, okay, cool. But obviously it didn't. I don't know what happened to it, you know. So, you know, more power to them. But, you know, a lot of people was coming to me because they were scared to talk to those three. I'm accessible to talk to, you know. I'm only afraid of God. You feel? I'm not afraid of no man. I'm not afraid of no entity. You know, I'm just not afraid because what can you do to me? Nothing. You feel me? 
I'm the motherfucker to kick this shit off. Okay. And if you really want to know the truth, I let go to KMS 25 anniversary on Kevin Sonnison YouTube at one minute and 28 seconds. He'll tell you how the shit started, you know. So they so they know the truth. You know, they still go along with the whole Bellevue 3 story, but they will recognize that you were there too. Yeah. Um, Derek don't want to do it. That's that's his thing because he was my roommate. Yeah. Okay. And he was like, okay. And it's like, you know, uh, I had epiphany right here on Shelby and Congress on the corner down here in Detroit. And we had a space party. While I was DJing, dance with this fine black sister. Just, oof. <laughs> she was fine. And uh, so the D Space crew was just me, Derek, uh, me, Derek Juan, Art Payne, Keith Martin. That was it. Juan always come in late, so we get the party going, blah, blah, blah. So he was playing all this Cybertron shit. So then I just had epiphany and something just, and so she caught me. I had blacked out. She caught me. And then she, you know, kind of shook me up. <laughs> For real. <laughs> like, what, you okay? And, yeah. And uh, <laughs> something told me, a word came in my head, said, make a record. So after the, the that, that hookup, I said, yo, man, I want to make a record. After, after the, you know, after the party was packing up, he said, okay. I, I was talking to Juan. He said, okay, cool. So... He said, all right, cool. So I went over his house like a couple days later. He said, man, you for real? I said, yeah, I went for real. Yeah. So where's your studio? So I said, okay, I went and got me a studio. But Derek worked in the uh, night. I worked in the daytime. So somebody can be home all the time. We had an old Victorian house on Warren and uh, Cass and Warren on the corner on Wayne State campus. So was this after the college era? Yeah. Okay, so this was after you had met Kevin at school and all that. Yeah, I met Derek first, and Derek introduced me to Juan. Okay. And then when I when I left Western Michigan, I was home for a year, and then that's when I ran back into Derek, and he was working at Roscoe's at Wayne State, because we was in Motown Varsity Squad together, and from 11th grade, that's how I knew, I've been knowing Derek. Then he said, this is my friend Juan, and me and Juan start hooking up because he's a Virgo. So, you know, Virgos and Capricorns is tight. Yeah. You feel me? <laughs> so I got the components to get the studio or whatever, whatever. The component mean bread, money. Yeah. Okay. So I got it. So he worked nights. I worked day. So somebody had to be home all the time because our turntables, our records, all that stuff. Y'all were taking no chances. Yeah. But eventually they broke in. Oh, my God. Eventually they broke in. You know, welcome to Detroit. Right. <laughs> right. They eventually they broke in. So I made my first record. I completed it, and I, uh, I think it was the win. No, the the spring of '85, right? Didn't know nothing about the business. While I was over here on Seven Mile off Livernois, I mean uh, 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 Telegraph, and I was off. I was in the township, staying with my grandmother across Eight Mile, just you know, with the, you know, over there, just you know, just hanging, chilling, <laughs> you know. So in '85, I gave Juan the music, okay. Boom. He said, okay, cool, man. I got you. I'm going to master this thing. I said, okay, cool. So I'm over here hanging on 8 Mile for like maybe three or four months, just chilling, just being a fool. DJing, but being a fool. You know how, back in the, back then. Just being it, young and wild. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because back then, you only had so many clubs and stuff like that. So you really, you know what I mean? So you, you, Detroit is not that big. It was all types of stuff going on back then where you can make some money DJing. Titty bar, this bar, all types of shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, you go to Belle Isle, play your music, you know, mixtapes and shit. It was just, just 
Reverend Irvin Soul. It was all types. It was lovely. So you didn't have to, you know what I'm saying? You made money here and there, okay? So then three months later, I was like, now mind you, me and Derek are still roommates. I go over wine. I was like, man, where's my record? I ain't know nothing about the music business. Ah, oh, man. Ah, oh, dog. Man, I, I fucked around and told Derek. Derek told Kevin. Now they want to make a record. So he eventually mastered that shit at the same time. So my point of this whole... So they hadn't made any tracks They were thinking about making no fucking record. Then they found out from Juan that you had made your track. Well, now, was that the Goodbye Kiss track? That yeah, was the Goodbye Kiss track. Okay. So... He eventually, like, oh, man, I'm just going to master at the same time. Okay, so another month came back. He said, man, look, what you want on your name with your shit, blah, blah, blah. And that's how I started understanding the business. The, the, you know, the label, the publishing, the writer. Yeah. I didn't know that. I was just out there DJing, going to record shops, buying records, doing my thing. And how old were you at this time? Like 18, 19? Or? No, I was 22 or 23. Early 20s, okay. Yeah, 22, 23. So at that point, I had moved out of Derek's place after that point. Because it was like six months. It's like, okay, I'm going to go out. Not, um, I, we had an old Victorian house, but he had rented the spot and there was a room available. So I, I, I moved out and then uh, started getting more into uh, the record business, understanding it. Yeah. You feel me? So that is the true story. So when motherfuckers, motherfuckers from different countries and all this shit, like Kevin, Derek, and Juan, they talk about it. I don't say anything now because I when I talk... Those motherfuckers don't say shit because they know that's the truth. Yeah. So that's when I, and then, you know, that's when people say, well, Eddie said this, said that. You know what I'm saying? It's true. But they won't say it in my face because it's like they know it's true because then I'll put some more back into the story yeah. and they don't want to hear that. Because they don't want to tarnish this whole image that's there you been go. created. So they're like, fuck it, we just gonna roll with this Bellevue thing. <laughs> We're riding Bellevue to the wheels. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. I mean, it was an actual thing, though. You know, I guess I don't want to say fuck them, but you were doing your thing too. And yeah, you but, were kind of left out of that. Yeah, I mean, it was purposely done because yeah. Juan told me, and he said that, you know, you know, you, you know, because you understand, I was buck wild. I mean, wow, I'm always like to fight. I'm always, you know, into some shit. But that's how Detroit molded me to make my music, to my DJ skills. Everything I do is Detroit. I'm Detroit. Are you from the West Side or are you said? From the West Side. So it's like, you know, but that made me who I am. So I was a little bit too brash and harsh, you know, nigga this, da 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 da, smoking, drinking, you know, just being me. In the streets. In the streets. <laughs> and that street is the street sound come out of me. You feel me? Uh, but it's just a lot of people don't understand that because, you know, they felt that when, anyway, anyway. Well, okay, when did you start being, like, vocal about all of this? Like, I mean, I guess you, not I guess, you can't really believe everything you read online is what I've learned. And, you know, you read all this shit. But, like, when did you start to kind of come out and be vocal about, like, when did people start to realize, like, wow, like, this guy was here, too, and they kind of just... No, I mean, I used to tell people, like, hey, this is not how the story went down. Yeah. And people say, oh, Eddie, just bitter. Oh, of course. As I'm not People bitter. love to say, oh, he just hate. Right, he just hate. <laughs> so what happened was... When the press came in town, BET, MTV, they, Derek made sure, because at the time, Cybertron and Metroplex stuff was just over there. It wasn't popping. 
that shit was it was that was over and done with. When Derek stole um new photo from Thomas Barnett and he did the mixes on it and put it out, okay, boom. Okay, whoa, well, there's some new shit come out. So then that Michael James him and that strings of life shit that, you know, he stole from Michael James. Yeah. You feel me? So now he getting all this love and hype. So then here come Big Fun. Right? So hits is coming, like, you know, cats is making money, right? So it's like, all right, so they so when we did our first compilation, they couldn't say techno without Juan because Derek wanted to do Detroit House compilation because his manager at the time was Neil Russian. Neil Russian had to deal with Virgin Records, had a subsidiary called label called Ten Records that did the Detroit first compilation. So Neil Russian had all the press in Europe. And so then they said, hey, this is my boy. I get 10% from 15% of what he does. Eventually he started managing Kevin. So the press went that way. Yeah. So they couldn't say techno. Well, Derek was the head nacho nigga at the time. So Derek wanted to do Detroit, call it Detroit Best of House, right? And I'm there, me and me was on the speakerphone. Me, Juan, Mark Taylor, Ron Cook, Marty Bonds. We was all in Los Angeles. The phone call, hey man, we need tracks. We're going to do the Detroit Best of House. And Juan's like, I make techno. I don't know what the fuck you talking about. Because yeah. House was already doing the Chicago thing. Right. So it was completely separate. So, and they did a Red Bull thing, and Juan, uh, the, the Red Bull interview, Red Bull interview, and Juan was like, man, your memory is failing you. But he didn't want to get caught in his lie. Okay? So that's what I've been dealing with, a liar speaking for me or trying to push me away. So you reap what you sow, and that's why my man, I guess he's attacking him on Facebook. So Oof, I'm not even gonna. Yeah. So <laughs> he, he's reaping what he sold because he purposely make sure the press did not even exist. You feel me? Because me and Derek kind of fell out, you know, because, you know, when my first record came out, it was bumping and popping. And him, I mean, Derek had to do, you know, his first record was called Surf's Up, Baby. On fantasy records, nobody know about this. And some other <laughs> bullshit. So when you steal people's shit and you say I am the man, if you look at the first transmat shit, is Derek and Thomas Burnett and Strings of Life. So, but then they want to know the history. You can't, you can't be the man. You, I mean, excuse me, for the only way you'd be the man to say, hey, Juan, me, and Kevin. Nah, nigga, that's how the shit started. You feel me? So, it with that, you know, that whole ass roommate bullshit. That lingered over to say, okay, I got something from his ass. Because you didn't have a vision. I had that epiphany to say, I want to make a record. And just so happened, motherfucker, you was just my roommate at the time. So he was just there by default and it kind of happened. It was by fucking default. And yeah. that's why I respect Kevin. Because Kevin put it on his 25-year anniversary. This is how this shit started. It was Juan, then it was Eddie. And then I and Derek found out and he told me. And then... Yeah, like just at least just keep it real. Just keep it real. Keep it real. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't think it would take away from anyone's fame or fortune at this point. You know, I mean, we're 30, 40 years in this shit. Right. Like, <laughs> but but it doesn't get it takes away his credibility. So yeah, that's yeah. Right. So I just stopped talking about it because I was like, okay, you know what? Y'all want to do a documentary or some film shit? Go run of those motherfuckers. So I'm a so when you your shit come out, it's like man, that shit is raw. So you don't have no validity, no substance because I keep it close to my vest. From me, if you want to talk to me, give me some money. It's a business now. Yeah. Oh, keep the fake story. Because my story go in depth, but I'm sure you heard of it. I don't know if you have, but my story is more in depth how this whole shit kicked off. Yeah. It's more to the story. I just give you a little. 
people who know it's like that nigga folks was a motherfucker who kicked this whole shit off. Outside of wine, I'm not gonna disrespect wine, but I'm talking to the point where it's like have a snowball effect because you know Kevin knew MK, Derek knew these other motherfuckers, Juan knew you know uh, Jeff, Shake, Mike Banks. You know what I'm saying? See, you know what I'm saying? So all that I, had, I gave, I, and anyway, the opportunity came up where things happened, and hey, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to get too much into it, but yeah, uh, yeah. No, I mean, so I guess just to wrap up that whole conversation, like how how did that story you know the deceptions of that whole Detroit techno story like affect your career um you don't I mean to me you don't come off as bitter you just come off as someone who's just telling the, the truth oh, but yeah. do you think like just the way things went down do you think that affected your career at all or? no no it's no not at all because it's like some shit went down with, with Juan right this motherfucker uh Juan had a studio and uh this motherfucker named Bradley Wine Studio was together with a guy named him and Bradley. Shit went down. And he said, man, Bradley want half of his shit. I said, well, you know, we give him half his shit, but he wants some money. I said, well, go talk to your boys over there. Kevin and Derek. Oh, they don't want to give me no money to keep my studio. So I ended up selling my studio to, to Jeff Mills. And I said, fuck it. I'll sell my studio to Jeff Mills, and I can learn even more. This is after Goodbye Kiss through Wine. I sold my studio, took all that money, I gave it to Juan so he can keep his 16 track, some keyboards, some other shit, right? So he said, okay, man, look, you can record in my studio now. I said, okay, bet. What you think happened? What, he didn't let you use the studio? Yeah. <laughs> so while they was homing on their craft, I have, you know what I'm saying? I have, Oh, so you had I, sold your stuff and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to use the homie studio and then when it was time... Nobody's answer. Yeah, the motherfucker <laughs> yeah. had a lock on all the time. Right, so I go over to Chris like, oh, man, I got a mix-up. Oh, man, I got a mix-up. Oh, you know what I'm saying? I said, okay, cool. You know, I didn't, I, I was like, okay, cool, cool. Okay, you know, because I know how this shit go. Okay, man, so three or four months, six months went down like, so I'm getting pissed. Like, come on, dog, what's up? Yeah. So when I got shit up, oh, man, I got something came up. So you taking my mix off. You know, back then you couldn't save your mix. You know, you had to keep it to get your ears, you know. So I said, okay, cool. So I'm a team player corporate guy at this point you feel me so i said okay you want to play me like that so i eventually just tuck his studio i just tuck his studio and put an art pain basement okay because this was when the compilation album was coming because we were, we were all uh we took the studio moved to la and uh then the compilation come out so when uh he said i'm gonna move home man and i said okay cool i gotta wrap up some stuff in la i just meet you at home and so i came back to detroit he was on that bullshit again. So I said, look, dog, I'm about to, this shit about to go down. <laughs> right? So I took the shit. I made my shit called Time and Express on the compilation. And I kept it in there. And then I did all these projects with Chazora for like, I had a studio for like, I had Wild Studio for like five or six months. So my point is, I'm not bitter because it was just that wine kind of plagued me. Yeah. Okay, and I never told that story to nobody, yeah. but you got the exclusive. He I got the scoop here. Y'all yeah. heard it here first. <laughs> he, he he fucking played me. So that's how um, Kevin and Derek kind of had a little head on, head start on me in the craft. I mean, home in their craft. Okay. Because you were kind of left in limbo for a little while. Yeah, because I'm helping a brother out that was in need. Yeah. You feel me? And then you got fucked over. Yeah. <laughs> but see, so that's what I'm saying. It's a lot to this story. You feel me? Because I was out there hustling. You feel me? I was out there hustling. So it's like, you know, uh, I'm never bitter. 
I'm never bitter. It's just like, don't tell me I wasn't there. Yeah. Just don't tell me I wasn't there. So when you put a mic in uh, uh, Derek's face, he say some shit. Then Juan say some shit. You feel me? So it's like, why y'all niggas bitter? You feel me? You know? I was like, I didn't try to help you. And then over here, man, you know, you got to lift out of life out of me. So... So what is uh what is your relationship with Juan like now? Oh, we cool. I mean, we still Juan, man. It's like we like brothers. You feel me? So you have like little spats, but you still cool through yeah. it all. Yeah, yeah. we yeah we talked yeah. uh, a couple weeks ago. Okay. We texted each other last week. So I mean, you know, he's he's like a brother to me. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, but he gets into his little moods and shit. I call it moods. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, but you got to know him. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we go, I mean, what's a long time for 30 something years of knowing is like together, together. Yeah. So everybody thought like, uh, you know, it was just, everybody said it's a split. It's Eddie and Juan versus Kevin and Derek. Like, no, I wasn't like that. It was just that our mentality of what we were listening to music and what music was us was different from what they were trying to do, you know? Yeah. So it's so- different. I guess nothing is all love and happiness, you know. I think people are like, oh, you know, it's about the music, it's about the music. But, you know, like you said, the music industry can be shady, you know. It's from the outside looking in just as a person who loves the music. It's like, oh, everything's great. But I think being involved in it or speaking to people like you, I realize, like, there are some things, you know, that went down that may not go along with, like, the happy, fun story of Detroit Techno. Put this way. (laughs) I'm going to answer your question. The shit was cool till the money came in. The shit was cool until it was all about the music till the money came. Yeah, and, and, and it was it was it was like that until Neil Rustin came in town. Neil Rustin, Neil Rustin had the contacts, so it's like, hey, Concord divide colonization. So, and when when you don't have shit, and then you feel like you're somebody, you know, Neil said, well, I got I got to fuck fuck with all you motherfuckers. Just deal with this motherfucker. But this, but you know, this motherfucker is not capable of pulling all of us together. So it was like, and it's like, I'm not fucking with Derek. So Derek starts spitting on everybody, how this person and that person and that person is. And that kind of like started the whole division to me in this whole city. Wow. You know, and as he fucked up a lot of shit for us. So, and it's like, it's really, Detroit is really, in my opinion, still wiping our ass on that shit. Because, you know, back in the day, they had panels, new, new music seminar in New York that faded out. Everybody went to Miami. WMC. Yeah. Well, that was, that was the, the morning in New York was the best. And then it rang to Miami. But before that, you had the panels in, uh, in London. I forgot the name of those, those. And Derek would speak for a whole Detroit. So they never had a voice until Derek manager, Neil Rustin, started putting them on these panels. And he, he start- was just letting them tell the story the way they saw it. The way he saw it, and so now I can speak, and I never forget this shit. One time, Jeff Mill was like, he told Juan, and Juan said, and uh, I, because you know, at this time, me and Juan, we, we, you know, it's like now the studio, you know, here, man, you can use the studio now. All right, yeah. all this bullshit is over with. <laughs> so he said, man, I just talked to Jeff, and uh, he said, you know, you remember Derek? You say, you know, because Derek had literally moved after the album went off a couple years after that to Amsterdam for like three years and um, Jeff was like man you know Derek come back home and say oh, man there's only like 50 100 people there man he says a thousand motherfuckers there that's the type of nigga he is okay just st- stretching the truth no didn't want to let another brother other people come through like gatekeeper for himself 
Okay. Yes. So, so like I have these gigs and these, you know. People, and I want to be the man. And I'm not, so I'm not going to tell you who my hookups or my contacts are, so I can stay at the top and keep y'all. Okay. It was that Willie Lynch all day. Yeah. Willie that, Lynch um, all motherfucking day. That's definitely something. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't like that. I think we should definitely yeah. be about so, so, building people, out, especially if they're actually talented. Yeah. Yeah, if he was, yeah, you know, but I'm, I'm not, you know, he's here to defend himself, but this is the truth. And when somebody tell me, hey, man, he's he's deliberately not letting you uh, get interviewed when we have people come in and do the whole depressed thing. Yeah. I say, like, well, why you didn't call me? Hey, man, uh, why you didn't call me? Hey, man, hey, OK. All right. Because they knew you were going to have your story, your truth. Yeah. But you got to understand, I was the buck wild one. Okay, I'm out here, you know, just doing things. It's like, I'm Detroit. I am Detroit, okay? I'm not, I didn't grow up in Belleville. Yeah. I always did everything in Detroit. Which it would be a completely different experience growing up in Belleville opposed to growing up in Detroit. Yes. I mean, yeah, I mean, I grew up in Rochester Hills. My family is all from Detroit. I was born in Detroit. We spent time here, but... My childhood, I can't relate it as to someone who grew up on Seven Mile, growing up in Rochester Hills. Even though it's only 30 minutes away, it's it's different. You know what I mean? When you cross over 8 Mile, it's it's a different world over there compared to, you know, born and raised on the Detroit streets. So so I get that. So, I mean, I, I met Derek after uh, he left Belleville. So I didn't know nothing about that. You know, I thought he always went to McKenzie High School. Okay. I'm never bitter. I'm never bitter because you can't take that D off my off me. Yeah. You feel me? So when I speak, cats across Europe, they can't handle it because they they got spoon feet the bullshit. Yeah. And so that it's like, I mean, literally, they can't handle it. Well, cool, he could be whatever, man. But don't tell me about Detroit and you wasn't there. I am Detroit. This exactly. techno music, okay? So they get bitter when I when they walk. They ask the same question. Well, how do you fill in? And it doesn't equate to them. This, uh, this is not what was in the magazine. This is not what he did in his documentary. Yeah, they're getting stressed out. Right. <laughs> and I said, well, why don't you just call them? We can put them on the phone. Yeah, yeah. And they don't, you know what I'm saying? So they they just can't handle it. So that's why I like it. I love it because the truth is here. It's just here. And it's like, hey, if you don't like it, you know, hey. You know, when people have a hit record, you get fame, see them on TV, they start sucking his dick. He or she, them, they, they, you know what I'm saying? Then it's like they just can't believe they've been bamboozled. Yeah. They just can't believe it. So it's like, oh, I become the villain. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, my, my story is not for free. What would you say is like a, a big misconception about you um, on the scene or in the music industry? People think I'm crazy. <laughs> for real. Are, are you crazy? I like, I enjoy life. And um, this one guy, he hit me up. Uh, I saw him at a party. He said, man, I wish when you was in college, I wish I'd have lived my life like you, man. And I was like, don't regret what you did. I said, man, I came from nothing. My mom was born in the flat tops across 8 Mile, Wyoming. Bro, we, we went from there to the projects. My mom had me when I was 18, and I'm the youngest. So it was a kid having a kid. Yeah. So I didn't have a father. Some of a father made me like six, seven times. So just imagine that I was like, hey, but I knew how to wash my ass, keep my clothes clean. She taught me those things. Like, yeah. you know, we don't have much, but you can still do this. Yeah. So my sisters, 
she eventually got her uh, high school degree diploma, diploma. I mean, high school degree, and she got her uh, what you call that, the associate degree. And she got her degree, then she got her master's. So by that time, we in college and stuff like that. So I said, man, it's like I enjoy what the black culture is, because you know you can crack jokes. You know, you can see Miss Smith. They don't have nothing but the family is beautiful. They're having fun, playing basketball, listening to James Brown, you know, listening to Motown. That was living. So when I went to college, I loved music so much and partying and pretty girls. I mean, I was just having the ball classes. Like, nah, man, you know, I mean, you know, you know, I got in college, you know, all that stuff. But I just didn't apply myself because I love DJing because I got a mixer for Christmas in 78. So I already knew what I wanted to do. So, so college pe- was kind of like just going through the motions. It's yeah, kind of what you're supposed to do. And you I, at, you got in, so you're like, hey, might as well go. Right. <laughs> so I was buck wild. So people always thought I was crazy, and it's like, no, I'm not crazy. It's just like, you know, I fight a lot, blah blah blah. But then again, it's like I didn't give a fuck because I just wanted to live life, DJ. I said I'll just, man, I just do a party, uh, five hundred a weekend party, I'm paying my rent, five hundred paying my car note. You know, that's that's my whole life was planned out because there wasn't a blueprint to this shit. Wasn't none ahead of us. No magazines, no nothing. So you're a lifelong creator artist. That's what you that's what you're gonna do. Well that's what you've been doing and what you will continue to do. Yeah. But I'm not crazy, but people think I'm crazy to answer your question. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm not crazy. I mean you seem okay to me. <laughs> um I stopped smoking so my temper, my nervous system went down. Smoking cigarettes? Yeah, it fucked up my nervous system. Oh. So I just snap. You know, I, I don't good. snap no more. I'm like, I'm calm, cool now. Because I got my kids too, so I'm chill. So what's like a typical day uh, in Detroit for you like? Just on an off day? Do you like working on music? Do you go out at all? Do emails in the morning. So I kind of get up yeah. like about 6 or 7 in the morning, do my emails because of the time difference. Yeah. Yeah. And then I get on my uh, vegetarian shit. Then, You're a vegetarian? Yeah. And then um, going to the studio. So much music in my head. So much music in my head. It's like I'm pulling it out now. Yeah. You know, it's like a lot of stress is gone because the kids is the kids are gone. Okay. You know, that's a lot of stress. Like. And they're doing good, so you're like, okay. Like, yeah. So I can, <laughs> right. So you I, can I, breathe I, again. Right. So I actually told my kids, like, look, y'all motherfuckers old enough now. I can. I could be gone six, seven, eight months. My wife's like, cool, gosh, when are you leaving? <laughs> Get that bread, baby. Right. So I just want to make sure my youngest daughter's on track. So she's on track. And, you know, that takes a man to really say, hey, you know what? Fuck all this. And I want to make sure this is the path you want to choose. And it's like, sometimes, like, when you coming home, Dad? No, nah, it's like, okay. It's like, you have to teach her to, to I got, you know, you got to fly your own wings. You know what I'm saying? So that right there to me, I was like, ah, I think she needs some more little guidance. Cause shout he, out to your daughters too, hey. Yeah, shout out, to, <laughs> shout out to T and Zoe. To me, mentorship is really important. So I, I ask this question a lot when I do my interviews. Um, do you have anyone that you consider? I mean, I know you were like the godfather, like the originator, so there may not have been that many people to like mentor you, um, but is there anyone you look to as a mentor or anyone that you talk to that can always just help you kind of get grounded or just like spit some real shit to you to kind of keep you... Juan. Juan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's how tight we were. Juan, it was, yeah, because it's like, 
we were doing the same thing. We didn't have no check coming in. Yeah. You know, we was keeping it real, you know, and... Just letting the ideas flow kind of between you. Yeah. Juan is a very, very intelligent guy. I mean, and I always like, God, we smoke so much weed. And I was like, man, how do you remember that shit? Uh, And it's like, you know, (laughs) and we talk about like, you know, the kids, the wife, you know, uh, the culture, you know. And he said something to me, because we used to do a lot of dates in Europe together. And he said something to me. He said, man, this is like before... Before booking agencies start, they had before booking agencies, and we just you know used so overseas. And he was like, "Man, if you notice when we go to these parties, at the end of the party, they play their cultural record. This is how the parties used to end. Okay, when we first go over there, their last record will be Italy, Spain, whatever country it was. They play the they anthem record. Okay, and he was like, you know what? We don't have you know we don't have nothing like that in America for us as black people." I was like, damn, you, we don't. We don't. So when he told me that, it, it stuck with me for the rest of my life. That's why I, I always go back and just dig, dig into uh, black music. I mean, you know, just shit that just, you know, just like the era, the who, who played on what, blah, blah, blah. And I'm still digging. You know, people say they got it um, like, oh, I got all this. Man, there's so much music has been made by our culture that's been wiped out that you got to come back and say, okay, who did this? Damn, man. You know, who played this? Like uh, the Fugees with Bird of Flack, that song? What is yeah. it? What's the name of that big song? Um, oh, Killing Me Softly. Killing Me Softly, yeah. There you go. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so why do that touch my my spirit so much. I was like, okay, let me let me go back. So, she was an original writer. Hmm. She was. It was a, a a Jewish girl from New York. Wow. And she rewrote it. So I had to go back and listen to the original version. So it's like, okay, now I'm questioning myself of who wrote, who wrote, who wrote. So I'm like, I want to feel the, the actual vibrations of that. Okay? Because I have to go back and feel the actual vibrations to understand a lot of music, especially music in my culture, because it's like the ice cream truck always played uh, the skating record, just things like that. So, you know, I used to wake up to WGZ, WJZZ in the morning, 77, and going to school. And then I'm like, okay, you know, I used to, uh, uh, I didn't buy the records, but I used to go to uh, uh, Kindred Records on Finkel. And Myers, because I went to uh, Guest Elementary School, Eddie Kendrick Brothers Record Store. And I used to just go in there and just listen to music and stuff. You know, we didn't have that much money. My parents, my parent didn't have that much money. So she was a kid raising kids. So that was my way of crate digging. Yeah, you just go in there and kind of just listen. Right, hang just out. go listen. All right, right. <laughs> I ain't going to buy nothing, but I'm going to be in here listening. <laughs> right. So um, just, I mean, just experience the, the, the culture of our music. And it's like, and you and you see like okay, what struggles did he go through? So I why is he is feeling me like Sam yeah. Cook? You can feel Sam Cook stuff. Yeah. So the the oppression and oppression that was from the sixties going to the seventies, and it's like you feel it. But if you didn't go through the culture, you don't feel it. Yeah. You you just rape it. Yeah, you know so. That's why you're playing it for clout, you know. I mean, maybe you like it, but you just maybe will never truly understand the struggle or the place that that came from. Right, and yeah. that's why I said, you know, uh, I just, 
I mean, I love, I love my cultural music. I mean, I love it because it's like, it, it, right, and it takes you, music. it just takes you someplace, and it's like, you know, it's some good music by all the cultures, but it's just, it's certain music that I just, I just gravitate to. I just, yeah. I, don't I mean, know I why. think we're the inspiration. You know, to the world, yeah, to all, every genre of music, we're the inspiration. I feel like it all comes back to us and in, in our roots. Um, but I definitely can relate with you on that. Yeah, the punk group called Death from Detroit. You heard of that? Oh, yeah, a band called Death. I saw yes. the documentary on Netflix about that. That blew my mind. Yeah, that blew my I mind. I was like, wow. And, and then it's like, and this other group, just like he's, he was saying that we punk rock every day. And I was like, that was deep what he said. It was this black punk rock group. And I didn't know that the origins of punk rock is here from Detroit. Yeah. Did not know that. I mean, I always tell people, I mean, me growing up here, I knew about, you know, I guess dance music. But for me, it was more so like, okay, 97.9, you know, live at Legends. Like, they're playing, like, Ghetto Tech and, like, House. and oh, I, I liked it, but I wasn't really old enough to, like, I didn't know, like, any of the names of the DJs or who the people were. But once I got older and grew up, like, I realized, like, wow. I learned just the broader scale of like all the music I had liked when I was younger. I realized it was being played around the world, you know, and that's when I started learning about the Bellevue Three story, <laughs> all, all of that. And I mean, just overall, I realized like, wow, Detroit music, you know, is so important, you know, and not just our dance music, you know, like you said, rock music, soul music, gospel. We have so many great things that came out of Detroit, and it makes me really proud to be black. But it also makes me really proud to be from Detroit. You know, it's a city that most people in America don't really give a fuck about, you know, like maybe in Europe and the dance music community, they love Detroit, but the average person, if you tell them you're from Detroit or you grew up there, they're like, oh, I'm sure you're glad you got out of there. Oh, it's fucked up, you know, or oh, it's starting to get better. You know, it's just the same kind of things. But, um, you know, being from here, playing our music, you know, it, it resonates with you and it makes you feel proud. You know, you playing Timeline by Underground Resistance, probably no one will understand how that feels for you, you know, compared to some white guy in Europe playing it. Like, okay, cool. But yeah, we play the shit. We grew up to this shit, you know. So I mean, like like I said, you know, Juan, Cypatron, Cypatron then Juan, and you know I tell when I do interviews in Europe, I said, you guys have never seen black kids get down to techno music without getting high. So you have to understand why this vibration hit these young black kids, which was in my age group, getting down to this music. And then it went below us, another generation. And, you know, and it's like you wouldn't understand it because it's like we don't need no drugs to get to get to feel. Yeah. That, I mean, and that's the thing where it's like that whole rave culture kind of started to take over later. And I think that was influenced by the UK. Yeah. No. I mean, yes, it was. But. We had that club over here off of Gratiot and Broadway uh, Music Institute. Okay. So the cast used to literally fly in, these magazine people from London, <clears throat> and they couldn't realize, like, they thought these kids was on drugs, and they'd play all night. So they started writing about the Music Institute. Yeah. It wasn't no punch bowl until later where they dipped the stuff in there, and you 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 know, you, you getting high. But before that... They were just dancing. It was just dancing. And that was... The backyard parties, the little club parties in Detroit, and that was the whole scene that we had. So when you come and understand this in Detroit, like, wow, this is different from Chicago. It's like it's not the straight soulful gospel black blues. This is something different. 
you know. It's a little harder. <laughs> a little bit, it's, it's, it's a little harder, but it's a little bit twist of that, that George in there, you know. And uh, Westbound Records uh, off of here on, on the boulevard. So I still take my head off to Juan for uh, creating a sound, you know, something that we all can adhere, adhere and adhere to. So moving forward to the generations after you, you know, specifically black people. I mean, are you familiar or do you know? Do you kind of pay attention to what's going on? Do you feel like the legacy of dance music is in good hands with like some of the younger black artists that are out right now? Or do you do you pay attention to that? Or I mean, I, I can't tell. I really can't tell. But <laughs> I mean, no, I can't tell because it's like they didn't fly us over here because we were good DJs. Yeah. Or because I was, I was the finest motherfucker out this bitch. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they didn't fly me over there. They flew us over because of our music. So do you think that there's anyone making good music right now that's not from like your era? See, that's the difference. It's a difference because it's like, how do I equate that? Because it's like, we equate that through sales. Why I push 75000 out of his basement? I pushed 13000 out of my basement, out of his basement. But it's different. It's digital. I mean, it's different now. You can't make seventy five grand. Remember, I said I. It's different now. Remember, I said I equate that. I remember said I equate that to sales. So I have to move forward. And I said, okay, cool. How can we equate what a hit record is now? It's hard. It's really it's hard. hard. I mean, it's like the turnover time is quick. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, even with me, I notice like I'll have some tracks and like I love it. But, you know, when you're doing the digital thing, it's like it kind of just starts getting lost in, like, a little folder, you know, and then there's new shits coming out. There's always stuff you can download and download, and I think the relationships, uh, I mean, I guess for me personally, like, playing records, I feel like my records do stick with me longer. My relationship with my records might be better than it is with the digital stuff because it's, I don't know, it's there, you're touching it, you know, you may keep it in your bag, but with digital, I just feel like the, the turnover rate is just kind of quick. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's give, my opinion. I give you yeah. that. I give you that. <laughs> I give you that. And just seeing all the hit records as as a young age from Detroit to Chicago, because that's all we had mm-hmm. was Detroit and Chicago. Once again, that's all we had was Detroit and Chicago that transcend this whole billion dollar business. So for these young cats, it's like, hmm, is it press? Is it dates? Was it the music? So out of the umbrella, the three of the umbrella, I can't really tell because a hit record will cut through anything. I don't give a fuck. It's, this is my opinion. I don't give a fuck. It's digital or metal or whatever. Uh, it was going to cut through. That's true. It's going to cut it's through. If it's good, it's good. Right. So to me, I can say the last hit record was Dennis Ferreira. Hey, hey, hey. I don't know that, Jack. Oh, I probably heard it. I want to say, hey, hey, hey. I heard you say. That, oh, okay. that <laughs> came through. And, you know, you start hearing it on the radio. Yeah. So, to me, that was the last hit record from the dance community that came both sides of the aisle. You know, black radio, white radio, because that's how we do it in America. Yeah. It's black and white radio. We just can't have radio. Yeah. So, uh, that was the last hit record. So, and I heard his original. And then... He put some vocals to it. And I said, okay, cool. He took it to another level. To me, if you make a hit, it'll cut through all this shit. I don't give a fuck what nobody said. I heard some shit digital. 
just came through, just wiped shit down. So to Detroit Cats, you got to make some heat. Now, if you want to equate that how many gigs and how many PR you got, well, cool. yeah, that, I mean, yeah. So I'm asking your questions like, yo, I haven't noticed because there ain't no heat coming out. The you, heat meaning, hold up, now it's, uh, a, it's a standard. My heat is like, like you changing the world. So I'm so used to music coming out where we change the world. It's not no mediocre shit. You feel me? You got to change. Your sound is changing the world. So that means you got to be in the lab, bro, putting in work. That's how I equate. What's your favorite label right now? I don't have a favorite label. I just, because like I'm going, I mean, there's a lot of music out there. Yeah. But it's nothing consistent. Um, I'm, 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 I'm. I'm on the edge with how, what music I like. I like music with a little tech, a little house. It's just, I, the blend got to be perfect. It's just the blend got to be perfect. And I, well, my music is more, what I, what I present is more together. You know, so there's a lot of music I got to go through. Because I like to go all these type of ways of DJing. It's just not just yeah, one Yeah, depending style. on what night, you know, what mood you're in, what kind of gig it is. Oh, no, I, I, oh, at, at all minimum parties when this shit came out, I was at... Burgine, Burgine. Yeah. Uh, shit. I was the first person in Detroit played there. I was there for like seven years. I played like three times a year. I was all I played my shit, and they went right back to middle. But they brought me back because like I've been doing DJing since I, I'm a '77. I got my mixer, so yeah. I'm playing what I want to play, but not at an egotistic, but where you can appreciate the presentation. Exactly. So okay, cool. The last, last record is this. Okay, I'm, I'm, I got something similar to that. And then I bait and switch you to where we got to go, where I want to take you. And then I got video of it. And I'll, you know, and I got video of me in Burkheim. I used to have my camera. <laughs> so it's like, and I'm playing all types of shit. And you can just see hands in the air. But I mean, but back to your question, it's like, yo, I, I equate what hit you have. Other people might equate it different. So it's like, hey, man. I, we got here by music. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, not to cut you off, sorry. If no, you, you didn't come okay. Well, I mean, I agree with that. But I, I also feel like from someone who's, like, newer in the industry, I feel like sometimes some of, like, the quote-unquote OGs that we would say, like... I'm not old. Oh, well. Okay. <laughs> Original gangster. Um but basically, I think sometimes we feel like we're not paid attention to. It's like, oh, you know, do they have these numbers? I mean, there's people who are good that make music that may not be that popular yet. Um, you know, maybe they didn't make it to, because you had to start somewhere, you know, even in the beginning. Everyone has to start and kind of I rise. came out the gate smoking. Yeah. <laughs> My first record but was But sometimes I speak to a lot of people um, in the industry who are DJs that are doing well, that are probably maybe my age or maybe a little younger, and the agreement among everyone is that sometimes we feel like they just don't pay attention. They're kind of egotistical and only kind of caught up in what they have going on. Or they just think, oh, you're new, so you're it's all social media. You're not actually talent. You're all a part of this whole social media, like internet, PR thing, which a lot of people are playing that game. But there's also a lot of people that aren't playing that game. There's a lot of talented producers and DJs that are black and young coming right out of Detroit, coming out of Atlanta, coming out of New York City. Uh, but And we look up, to, you know, to these people that came before us, but sometimes we just feel ignored or just automatically thrown into the box because we're younger and we quote unquote don't know, which I think is bullshit because some of us do know and some of us have put in work. We do play records. We are good DJs. It's not all PR and social media. That's just the sign of the times. Everyone has to do that. 
everybody's on social media, basically, for the most part. It's a tool to promote your shit. So I don't see anything wrong with using that. But sometimes it's frustrating feeling like you're kind of categorized into this box of like, oh, you're new. You don't know nothing. Like, whatever. You know, we we the ones who found it this shit. You just... No, that's that's not true. That's, it hurts my feelings. That's, no, I'm just no, that's, that's, that's not true with me. That's not true with me. Uh, I know that's. I don't want to speak for wine, but that's not true with wine. And uh, but I could tell you this: it's just all what you said has a lot of validity, tons. But at the end of the day, nobody would know who MK was until he ate them hits. MK was MK just kept coming by the studio. And he just boom. Yeah. He was in the lab. And um just like when I made my first record, I that was six months fucking with my studio until I was like, okay, I'm feeling this. Because I had to go out to parties and parties. It's like, what's making these kids? I mean, us go, because we was kids then. Yeah. So I was like, boom. So I was like, uh, uh, I got I got a little rhythm. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is like, all that is true, but just think if you had a hit record on top of that. Yeah. You were just like, Phew. Now everybody, excuse my language, excuse my language, everybody be sucking your dick now. You feel I me? Mean? So I'm just saying, like, uh, what makes it a hit though? Like, because a hit, you, you know, a hit to me, like, okay, so my favorite label is Kai Alsay's label, NDATL. Okay. Everything he puts out to me is fire. All the remixes he does, all the artists he's brought on, that shit is fire to me. But okay. that may not be a hit to someone else. You know okay. what I mean? So. To me, like I said, a hit is when you changing the whole style, right? Like when Kenny Dixon came out, he put that slow shit on them motherfuckers yeah. and he started changing the world with that slow shit. He had shit. his yeah. own thing going. Right. He started changing the world. You feel me? So Kenny started like, okay, cool. That's what I'm talking about. And he just started. And it's like, yo, I'm not looking left. I'm looking right. I'm going straight forward. Not trying to be like anybody else. Right. Yeah. But the shit was working. And you remember yeah. that? I was like, I lived in LA. He had this one track that came out just like, Dun. I can't name the name of it, but that shit just just wiped the whole scene out. Yeah. You feel me? He he put in work. You feel me? So I'm saying like, you have to like, you know. Just put in the work and stay consistent. Like if people ain't fucking I with wouldn't you. Say, I would, <laughs> consistent is Consistent is there, but it's like you gotta have that heat to like boom. You hearing that shit on radio. You hearing that shit at the stadiums. You hear that's when you know okay, my shit is coming through. Yeah. This is some heat, and you know because your phone gonna be ringing, them emails gonna coming through, blah blah blah. That's what I'm saying. I'm not taking them any way from people who have made music. I'm just saying we got here by our music, and it's like you know I know motherfuckers that's talking about taking some shit. They made 20, 30 years ago. Motherfuckers just taking shit and just putting a kick on behind our shit and just putting it out. Oh, I just saw something. I read something about that recently. I'm not going to say who I saw say that, but I was like, wow, that was that's they, crazy. And Santone Echoes from recent Santonio, he said, man, he emailed me. He's like, man, not email. He texted me. He said, man, this fool just took my shit. So that let me know our shit is still like still. Because we was putting in hard work, and this music still resonates. People still stealing it 20, 30 years Cause later. Because it's right, because you put in work. And and nowadays, kids, they don't have, they don't go back and do research. They just come in from this point and go in that way because my titty's big, I'm nice looking, I'm getting the clicks and likes, but you have no substance when you play music. There's no substance because you don't have no direction because nobody can't tell you shit because it's like, 
I'm making this money on YouTube or whatever. Now I'm a DJ. Yeah. You feel me? And they're just like, hey, I'm un- I'm untouchable. Can't abide to Exactly. So you can't tell them about good music or why music and how your music can be so like still, you know, because still we, we need still every day, you know. It's, our music is still like still so you can always your catalog define you who you are in my opinion mm. you know so the more you put in work the more you'll see like okay cool because with the what hot records hot digital shit you can always have uh, music you can always have success you know success gonna be there with your hot tracks you know what I'm saying so it's like you like a lot of Europeans like hey I don't give a fuck what it sounds like I just buy all the shit to come out because I like it and that creates value to your catalog. You feel me? But if you come out and make one and you, like, everybody's following this new style now. You notice when you get a sound kit, it's an MK sound. It's an MK, MK baseline, MK this, MK that. That's how much that boy fucked the world up. That's a, he's one of the baddest motherfuckers that I said can make a hit without somebody else in the studio with him. Other, other than the people. I, person, I might know maybe Stevie Wonder, but MK flipped this shit so bad. And I was like, see, so that's, you don't think he went commercial though? He might have went commercial, yeah. but I'm talking about he changed the sound. So here's our sound, his Chicago sound. We changed the world. So then he came in and flipped it again with his sound. Yeah. You feel me? And we haven't had nobody since then other than Kenny Dixon. Mm. You feel me? I mean, flipping the sound and making having a global impact. Right. Okay. That's hit music to me. Okay. You know, that's impactful yeah. shit. Okay. You know I, mean? I mean, I'm not there. You know, we not there. I mean, I, I ain't going to speak for them. I'm not there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's like, okay, cool. You got to get back in the lab and build it back up. But like I said, you know, when you have decided to have a family, you feel me? Certain cats don't have family. They can keep it going. I love, I know, you know what I'm saying? And then, you know, your family, things slow down. You're not focused no more. I wouldn't say focused no more. You don't have that eight hours, wake up with it, go to sleep with it, wake up. You know, you hit your girl a little bit. She go home, you go back into it. You know, yeah, you, you don't have as much time to just make your whole life music because right. you got a family and family exactly. experience. So these kids <laughs> coming up, they don't, you know, they struggling artists. So it's like, hey, man, now it's easy to me because you got... Uh, a computer and stuff like that. Everything was cut, paste. I mean, uh, cut the tape. Yeah. All types of shit. It's so super easy now. Yeah, super it, easy. It so, <laughs> and it's so much music now. You can go on the internet and dig, 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 and just get this feel and and you practice. Can buy a your collection child. in one night. One night. <laughs> right. So I mean, you know. So to answer your question, you know, I'm not. You know, I'm waiting for the hits to come out. Okay. You know what I'm saying? That's like, okay. Cool. I'm with you. You know. Hey. Mink, psycho, uh, psychedelic, hey, what a hits. That's me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, shout out to Minks and then that's my that's my girls and stuff. What it's like, okay, cool. I, it's like they know us by our music. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Okay. They know us by our music. And and, and that to me will hold the, the light. So you can come, like you said, Kai got okay, sooner or later that that bitch is coming out of there. One of them hits is gonna just tame, change the world. It's yeah. coming. Cause the more you put out, eventually it's one gonna hit. Yeah. It's gonna stick. So that's why I said, you know, I'm not saying like, I would never say like, you know, a person's music is bad. Just a matter of time. If you're consistent, it's going to come yeah. because you're putting in work. Just really tap into who you are and your sound and what you can do. Right. To differentiate differentiate yourself from everybody else. I want to say differentiate yourself. Differentiate. Damn. I know. It's kind of hard <laughs> to say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying, you know, the consistency, yeah. the hit eventually going to come out. Yeah. And then you say, okay, cool. And so usually... 
when you make a hit, you just change the little notes and you just keep the same shit going, consistent. Yeah. And so that's how. Sound. Yeah, and that's how you create your sound, an everlasting sound. You said, now I study the one that took the world, and I'm going to keep flipping it, but the same, but keep flipping the same, and then boom. And that's why I said, MK changed the world. Yeah. You know, he took his sound, flipped a little bit, took that's his sound. That's facts, though. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely facts. Yeah. I mean, Commercial or not, you know, he, he, he did it. Yeah, he did it. I mean, <laughs> he, it's, he's it's, doing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, like you said, this, I'm going to use your words, you know, hey, you know, you got to change with the time. If he want to change with the time, that's what he said. Cool. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, you know, I just remember MK doing his shit in the studio, get down. MK reminded me of Juan. Everything Juan did just turned the world out. Yeah. Because if you can drive from Detroit to all of LA and hear your music on all the radio stations, I, I was like, damn, dog. And when we got to L.A., Juan shit just, it was like, they thought Juan was a Mexican, you know? That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for real. It's like, it's a deep story on that, we, me and Juan in L.A., fucking with um, the N.W.A. motherfuckers, Tone Loke, want to fight Juan, all types of shit. Damn. The shit was deep, you know? That sounds, but, that sounds deep. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, if you go to, what city you go to, who ruling the street? You had to go in the hood. So you had to go to Chicago. Who ruled the streets? Oh, Jesse Saunders and, and uh, 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 Frankie Knuckles. Okay. Who's ruling the street in L.A.? Because it was only like New York, New York Chicago, Chicago Detroit. Detroit, and L.A. was making these underground sounds. You know what I'm saying? And you had uh, Egyptian Lover, which he loved us. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you had all the motherfuckers trying to get that sound. And you had a, what's that motherfucker name? Uh, all them L.A. motherfuckers, man. Yeah. Two Live Crew, uh, not the Two Live Crew, uh, L.A. Dream Team. It was all them motherfuckers trying to get Juan sound. Okay, you don't understand. This shit is just, Detroit yeah. was a bad well, Even Dr. Dre, I saw an interview with him, and a lot of his early influences were kind of like electronic. No, he knew exactly who we are. Yeah. Cause we, so he knows. Yes, okay. because um, McCullough Records, McCullough Records was on Sunset Boulevard. So they picked up all the, the, the young black kid shit and was distributed and they had a pressing plant in their office. But in their office, pressing plant. So they were shipping. The books was fucked up. So Juan said, hey man, they want to uh, do all the Metroplex, press all the Metroplex shit since, you know, your shit is on here. You want your shit. And I said, yeah, fuck it, let's roll. So the numbers wasn't adding up. Nigga, we got to roll out there. So we rolled out there. Egyptian lover picked us up. You know what I'm saying? We got in the room. He picked us up and then we go to this uh penthouse they shooting a video it was jj fad and all nwa that's how we met all the motherfuckers right so a couple days later we go and meet up at mccola records and then we introduce ourselves blah 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 i'm easy dre uh, ice cube uh what's the ren dj ren so we're all young you know what I'm saying and it's like then you had uh the person who had the hits i can't think of this motherfucker coolio Coolio. Coolio, wow, Coolio. okay. Coolio, Coolio had to hit and L.A. Dream Teens. And then, uh, so everybody would meet on this corner because McCola Records had signed all the young kids, okay. you know, a little bit from New York. When they didn't fuck with the Chicago shit. So that's how we met. And that's how they, they, uh, they know who Juan was because Juan was putting out Technicolor. Yeah. Technicolor ate a hole in Los Angeles. So that taught me what a hit record is from a person basement. And you know how you can change. It has it. that reach, right? But his, but Juan stuff really never hit Europe, but it hit America. Okay. 
You feel mm-hmm. me? And you can see from people sampling shit from Two Live Crew, Missy Elliott. So when when uh the guy was in that Sir Mix a Lot stole Technicolor and made Baby Got Back, he couldn't use me as a court. He got to use people like he did business with Cliff and uh this guy uh oh yeah from Archer Archer Records. You know you have to write it. That's it. What they call that? We were just talking about that track the other day. We were talking about like tracks that you could probably just live off of for the rest of your life. And like, yeah, Baby Got Back is one of those. Tra- I mean, like tracks. literally in movies. I mean, literally, it stood the test of time. You know? So that's my hit record. Yeah. That's it. I so, get it now. Yes. 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 So it's, you can I, live I, off that yes. Shit. I, I'd rather have, I'm honestly, no, I take that back. But you can have a smash hit record in digital. And then eventually you can call a vinyl. You feel me? Then just put new mixes out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it's the first print, so you know that's going to be a lot of money. Yeah. You feel me? So it's it's the business of the music business you have to pimp. That's got You got to pimp that bitch. Or, 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 be, or be pimped. Because it yeah. will do that to you if yeah. you don't know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> right. So, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm not, I don't even call it old school. I just respect hit records. I don't give a fuck what country it's coming from. Yeah. If it's like, man, this shit is tearing up the world. God damn, what is this shit? But it ain't changing the world. It's tearing up the world, but it ain't changing the world. Like Kenny Dixon's sound changed the yeah. half of this world. You feel yeah. me? And you just, you, you, you know, motherfuckers who hate this, like, bro, you don't know nothing about music. You feel me? And he put a little, uh, uh, you know, the swag to it. You know, yeah, hey, what up, doubt? Oh, of course. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Just, so he just took it to another level. The whole level. image is like, right. yeah, it, it works. Right. You know, it, it's interesting. You're like, wow, you know, it's intriguing. Right. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's where I'm, that's where I'm at uh, when it comes to uh, music. And it's not personal to new or old. It's like, yo, we need to be more consistent making hits out this bitch. Yeah. And that's inclusive with me as well. What would you say your legacy in dance music is or what do you want it to be? Helping people like... I help Aunt Filter get his deal. I help Nico Marx. Uh, I help Santonio Echoes, recent Santonio. Uh, I, I did it. Me and me and Marissa Rose, that was my first vocal. She was my second vocalist. We went 18 on Billboard, and she had a record deal on Electric Records. She's like, Eddie, I like what you doing. I said, come on, let's go. Shit. <laughs> but I help people. Just like I just want people to know I help people. I might be buck wild, talk a lot of shit. Which I like to do because that's what you do on the street. You talk a lot of shit, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, yo, help folk. And I did, like, the best compilation ever came out of Detroit was the one I did. I put money in people's pocket. I put money in people's pocket. So motherfuckers can't say folks didn't put money in my pocket. Yeah. How many motherfuckers say they put money in my pocket? I don't get one right ass. <laughs> okay. But my thing was, we ain't nobody gonna help us until we help ourselves. So, and I, I'm a true, true and firm believer in that. And it's like, hey, you know, if I ask people for something, you know, I think that's what missing to me and the young cats is like, they don't share the wealth. We used to share the wealth. I share the wealth like a motherfucker. And motherfuckers can't say that, like, I never put the money in your pocket. Because, you know, you gotta, for us to maintain, you gotta make some hits. So here's another vehicle. Here's another vehicle. Excuse me. Here's another vessel. Here's another vessel. Here's another vessel. Like for like Mike Banks, he hooked me up with Chazor. You feel me? So it's like, hey folks, I got something for you. Okay, babe, run it. Yeah. 
Yeah. You feel me? Oh, I'm get this studio for wine. He's bullshit. Let me get this shit. For so you think we need to see more of that currently? Just helping people and don't be afraid to share your contacts. Right. Put people on. Um, and I agree because I'm like, it's not funny to get money and none of your friends are. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's lonely at the top. You know, you want everybody to eat, everyone to do good. Right. That's when that's when life is good. Because I, I <laughs> because I was like, man, you know, his music is his music. His music is his music. Her music, her music. Hey, okay, like. Hey, there's room for everybody to do their own so fucking thing. Yeah, we all gonna do it our own way. That's the great thing about being human. You know, right. no person is gonna be just fucking like you. Right. No one. So it was like, <laughs> I was like, hey, Ash, I need the, uh, you got the contact with us. Yeah, I got you. Okay. Hey, folks, man, you got the contact to that record label over here. I got to think of the fit. Yeah. I know motherfuckers like, ah, nah, man, they ain't, you know what I'm saying? Because they hating because you got some heat and they ain't got no heat. Yeah. You feel me? Yeah. And it's like, they never had, I think the problem was like, I think, like I said, I think the problem might be because it's like when doing this shit and you making money, so you used to having and making money. Yeah, it's like this capitalism, basically. You know what I mean? I mean it's you know, like, oh, let me not build you up because you may come and take my money and I need right. this shit. So, so <laughs> by, by making so much money in this as a young age, it's like, okay, cool. I'm used to making money because you know what? I know how to make money. But yeah. if you don't know how to do it, you don't know how to share the wealth. Because you're worried, yeah. But if you get money and you know how and you're a hustler, you know you're going to be good. Right. Giving someone an email address is not going to cancel your whole career. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Because like Am <laughs> Filler, he was like, I ran an app at Powerhouse Gym. He's like, man, I need a hookup. I said, all right, man, you know what I make. I don't make it. He said, man, folks, just hook me up. Okay, I, I, I got you. So I call my boy in London. I said, man, you need to check out this brother, man. He hot as mouth. He just spit all types of... The, you know, like hey, you build, you build them, you build them up, up all you know? the way, right? <laughs> and it took off. First album done. Next, you know, Amp Filler like doing his thing. You know what I'm saying? And then, like, you feel me? Amp, you know what I'm saying? Amp, he'll tell this. He'll tell his people like this. Is the guy hooked me up right here, but he don't. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he doesn't go around telling everybody. Right. Yeah, like we got love. So yeah. you know, I go over his house. You know, oh, that's my boy, folks. Blah blah blah. You know, and I don't. You know, I don't. You know, I don't. My thing is, my legacy, hey, I'll hook motherfuckers up. If I can help you, I'll hook you up. <laughs> it's that simple. You saw what Kenny doing. He put, my, he put motherfuckers on. Yeah. He putting them through. Yeah. You feel me? When you get money, you putting people through. You making good music, people through. So it's really it's really hard if you ain't really, you never seen that type of money before. It's, yeah, you know what I'm saying? You're just you, so focused on you, you know, and you're already on eggshells because you don't even know what's going to happen next for you. Right. So. Right. So, and, and I think, what really, really turned my whole tide to really help people is like, you know what? The story I told you, remember I said how, damn man, I wish I lived your life like you did in college, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I realized you can't take none of this shit when you die. And that's what made me enjoy music so much because I'm enjoying this and have fun. You can't take, I can't take none of this shit when I die. Yeah. So it's like, hey, what you, hey, hey, folks, you got, to, hey, man, here you go, call this person, hey, uh, you know, you know, I'll hook you up the best way I can. And so I that's can. my legacy to me. Like, yo, yeah. this motherfucker hooked people up. That, that's definitely important. And I, li- I like that you said that. I mean, I think we all could give give a little more. You know what I mean? I mean and it feels good just as a, an artist or as a human. You know, it's not me, me, me all the time. You know, sometimes it, it feels like that. If it starts to feel like that to me, I'm like, okay, what can I do to... You know, sh- put some shine on other folks. You know, mm-hmm. help other people. You know, it can't always be about us. Right. Um, 
Because you know who <laughs> you know who a hot motherfucker right now? Gary Morales. Okay. That boy hot. And I was like, Gary. Are they out of Detroit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was like, Gary, man, man, your shit is too hot, dog. You got to let the world out here with you a little bit more. He's doing it. He's doing it. And uh, he's hot. And I'm trying to hook him up now with some peeps, you know, to take him to the next level. You know what I mean? You know. But he constantly putting them out. He, yeah, he's, he's working. He, yeah, he's in the lab. He ain't bullshitting. He's constantly putting them out. And sooner or later, one going to take him to the next level. And that's the part. Where I've learned learned that from Juan is you constantly in that studio. Because, like you said, you don't need one. So, like I said, I learned everything from Juan. You know, I learned everything from Juan. And then uh, I put my twist on top. One of those things. So, you know, I just want my legacy. I help motherfuckers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> For real. Because it's like, I don't want to be no selfish motherfucker. Nobody say, man, you stole my shit. You know what I mean? You did this. Like, no, man, I ain't did nothing to you, bro. Because it just would feel like everything was in vain. You know, even though right. you can't take shit with you, at least when you do go, you know, you want to have a positive, you know, you want your legacy to be a positive one. You know? Yeah, but I'm not going. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, no, I, didn't, I mean, we all are eventually. I mean, I didn't mean to get dark on it, but I was just saying, you know, we got to be real here. <laughs> Um, all right, so, I mean, lastly, do you have any, like, shout-outs or any announcements you want to make or whatever? Oh, well, I mean, you know, I definitely want to shout-out to my oldest daughter. She's getting a man. I'm really proud of her. And uh, I want to shout-out to a guy, uh, you know, local dice, Oliver Way, my boy Santone that goes, you know. And also my, my other daughter, my youngest daughter. She's going to be the baddest film director come out. Cause I'm gonna make all her film scores. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. 